I want to start by just giving us three quick definitions so that we can kind of have a framework to walk through this morning. We um, are going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 15 and kind of walking through that passage and picking out how false labor and faithfulness um, kind of play off each other in that. But we've been walking through and we've been talking a lot about iniquity, but there are two other other concepts that fit with inequity that I think would be helpful to clarify. And that first is that of sin. So sin, we talk about a lot in terms of uh, something that separates us from God. But it also can be anything that falls short of the glory of God. And so sin is very broad and it's very, um, can be specific things, but it can also be just a, a general thing. That it's, it's anything that doesn't meet the glory of God. There's also then another point that we see in Scripture called transgression. This is when we choose to disobey. It is a disobedience of the will, is oftentimes how it's referred to in Scripture. And so it's, um, it's in some sense, they say, they talk about it in terms of if there's a line, we t- oh, like I say to my son, you just crossed the line. You know, like, you just, that's transgression. Because it's when we transgress a line. When we walk across something that we know God has put in place um, to keep us accountable to his word, to keep us in right relationship with him, we transgress that line. And so that's, that's transgression. And then there's iniquity, premeditated choice, continuing without repentance. Iniquity that goes unchecked leads to a state of willful sin, with no fear of God. And this is why iniquity is so important um, to understand because iniquity is the point where it's, you are in this rhythm, you are in this pattern of existing in a state of not glorifying God and continual transgression of, of a right relationship with God. And because it is continual, because there is not repentance attached to it, we often can get very comfortable and we often lose sight of it as sin, as something that is separating us from God in our relationship. The, the phrase there is that it's premeditated, which would assume that we know every time we're stepping in that iniquity, we are aware of it. That's not always the case because when it becomes a pattern, when it becomes a rhythm, Right? It's just, it's secondhand. It's, it's something we, we know. But it is premeditated in the sense that how it gets developed, how it becomes into existence, is that it's, it's a choice. It's something we choose to walk in. Iniquity, when it exists long enough, is something that Scripture points to as leading us to the place of what they call a reprobate, reprobate mind meaning that our mind is totally against a right relationship with God. And we have kind of, it's that whole idea of we have been given over to the thing that we're pursuing. So whatever the iniquity is, we are given over to it. And it's allowed to be embodied and fully expressed in our lives. So iniquity is a place when it's, happening culturally, when it's happening in our life, 
It's a place where we need to respond in kind. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, iniquity is intense. Iniquity is, is strong. It's deeply rooted. And so we need to respond in kind in a way that actually is not, um, it's not false labor, right? We don't become zealous. We don't become religious. And we don't become um, legalistic to counter an iniquity. But we become prostrate. We become broken. We become humble and we cry out to God. Because it is greater than anything we could do. But it is not greater than what he can do. So keep that perspective in your mind as we walk through and as we talk about the iniquity of false labor. So disclaimer. False labor is an iniquity in our land. False labor is an iniquity that I have walked in, that in areas of my life, I am still probably unaware that I am walking in. So don't come this morning with a word from God knowing that I have arrived any more than any of you in understanding false labor in my own life. In many ways, this is... um, and this has been an ongoing conversation with my wife and I. And, and we talk about it in terms of like simplicity or living minimalistically. And we talk about it in terms of um, not having stuff to manage, but managing only the things that, um, that bring life and bring joy uh, in our lives. And, and we constantly are having this conversation. We're constantly evaluating. Is that false labor? Are we walking in something we shouldn't be walking? And um, it's just, it's a common theme in our, in our relationship that we ask and seek God on behalf. So, so I come understanding the struggle of this iniquity. I come understanding and knowing. So a rough definition of false labor It is a willful laboring incorrectly for one's own personal gain, right? So that it is is that we are putting forth effort. We are working tirelessly, but we are working incorrectly, which results in our own personal gain. Another way to say it um, would be that when false perception of God and perception of work make us think that it's right to sacrifice for God. So hold on to those and we'll come back to that. As we see them illustrated in 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to just start um, at the beginning of chapter 15 verse 1. I'm going to read through till verse 31, stopping as we go. So I'll let you remain seated for this moment. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what 
Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. A key point that we're going to be making throughout is that idea of the Lord sent me, this is Samuel saying, to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. This whole idea of hearing the words of the Lord is all throughout the the scriptures when it comes to talking about faithfulness and false labor. Because it is the listening to the words of the Lord that gives us the clarification and helps us distinguish between what labor, what work is of the Lord, and what labor and what work is false and builds not God's kingdom, but our kingdom. And so Samuel says, here is the word of the Lord to Saul. And he says, this is important to to hear because this is not, this is actually not about Israel coming into the land of Cana and conquering it. it. It's not about them overcoming land. This is actually God telling Samuel, here we go. You are established as king. Now, the call to Israel to be kind of my hand and my flesh on earth in this moment is coming to fruition. And if you recall Amalek from the days of Moses, he challenged my people when they were coming out of Egypt. And this is in Exodus 17. And the the Israelites come up out of Egypt Amalek says, you're not going to walk through my land. You're not going to come through my territory. And he comes down and he seeks to wage war against them. And if you recall the story of Moses, when he kept his arms up, Joshua was having victory in battle. But every time he put his arms down, the enemy was winning. This is Amalek. This is that guy. And so um, Aaron and Hur had to hold up his arms so that Joshua, son of Nun, could have victory over Amalek. That's this people. So what God is choosing to do is he's choosing to use Israel to invoke judgment upon Amalek for their dishonesty and disrespect of God's people. Their sin of how they treated God's people. So that's why we see in scripture here that that God says it's complete annihilation. Because this isn't about war and conquering the land. It's about judgment. So this is God's judgment. So there should be no reward for Israel. Because their obedience is their reward in this moment. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim. 200,000 men on foot. 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people 
spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Here we have, right? Like Samuel came to Saul and he gave a clear word. And Samuel even said to Saul, listen to the word of the Lord. And when Saul goes into battle, he no longer goes on account of enacting God's judgment as it was given to him to do to the Amalekites. But he listens only partially. And he goes out and he has victory in battle. But he does not walk in full obedience. He only walks in partial obedience. And when it comes to the word of the Lord, walking in partial obedience is still disobedience. So when we listen to God, and God says, go this far, and we only go this far, it's not oh, well, we obeyed God to this point. It's still disobedience. Saul, being the king of Israel, models this for his people. By sparing the king, he communicates to the rest of his men, it is fair to spare the things that are valuable, the things that we find have worth. And so when we see something that is good, and so because we see that it is good, we choose not to avoid it. We choose to honor it as good. If it's not what the word of the Lord has said, then we engage in the false labor of keeping that thing going, of bringing that thing into our life, right? So in this case, they spared oxen and they spared sheep and they spared cattle and all different livestock. Now they have all the labor of transporting that. They have all the work of tending to them and caring for them. And what do they have? They have personal wealth, personal gain. So false labor being incorrect work that results in our personal gain, we can see happening right here in this moment because they see in their own eyes what is good. And their perception is that God is good, so why would he want us to destroy something he created that is good? But see, it's not about God's creation. It's about God's judgment. And that's what they were called to do. They were asked to be an arm of God, invoking judgment upon a people who were not worthy of life in God's eyes, not going to stand righteous before God. And so he says, Israel, go and annihilate them. Go and destroy them. And so they go, but they say, wait, but God, this sheep you created is good. Let's keep it. That's disobedience. Because God's direction God's word was total destruction. Verse 10 is the 
juxtaposition of that picture. He says, the word of the Lord. Remember, the word of the Lord. This is what we need to listen to, to discern between false labor and obedience, right? So the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments, right? He has not walked in obedience. He's been disobedient. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Direct response of Samuel is not to go after Saul and and make right what Saul made wrong. Samuel hears the word of the Lord, and Samuel stays with God. Samuel cries out. Samuel gets himself to a place where he knows and understands the heart of God before he moves. So when we hear the word of God, right, when we can receive and we can listen and we can hear it, we need to sit with that. We need to hear it, let it sink in, in a sense, you know, to the point where we understand God's heart so we know how to move. Because if we hear the word, right, but we don't actually sit with the word, we don't, we're going to look like Saul in the sense that he heard God say, go out and you will have victory over this army. And he went and did it, right? But he didn't understand the heart of God to understand this is God's judgment on a people. Not war to conquer and have victory in. God does not rejoice in his judgment of people. It breaks his heart when he has to invoke judgment upon people. Because God is patient. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. But he is also just. And when we have been given opportunities to repent, and we don't walk in that repentance, then we face judgment. Verse 12. Just make sure I'm not missing anything. Verse 12. I want to actually jump back to Genesis 15. Because there's another picture of faithfulness that I I want to introduce here. This is Genesis 15, 1 through 6. This is when God comes to Abraham. At this point, he's Abram. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Here, another way that God speaks, another way that God is communicating his heart, communicating his mind. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Again, here it is, right? The word of the Lord came. God is directing. God is instructing Abram. God is giving Abram what he needs to know. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. 
And we know that this word is almost ludicrous to Abram, right? He's old. His wife is old. They don't anticipate having a child. So even though this is the word of the Lord, we know from the story of Abram that this is kind of like ridiculous thought. But it's still the word of the Lord. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, meaning Abram believed the Lord. And he counted it, God counted it to Abram as righteousness. Another picture of faithfulness, another picture of what it looks like to walk in faithfulness. It is this correlation between hearing the word of the Lord and walking in obedience. Hearing God, walking in obedience. When we walk without hearing, we create false labor. When we hear and we walk only a little bit, we again create false labor. When we hear and when we walk in obedience, the work that we do might be hard, it might be tiring, but it produces much fruit. And it produces a right relationship with God. Think of all the ways that Scripture talks about hearing from God, right? So we have the scripture, and I think um, a lot of times, and this is not, uh, not a critical statement, but it's a statement um, to just challenge us to kind of make our, our box that we put God in bigger. Um, and that is that we oftentimes think that like, it's like the sola scriptura idea. This is the word of the Lord, so if it's in here, then it's God's word. Absolutely. Absolutely. But scripture actually highlights so much more ways, so many more ways that God speaks through personal appearance. How many times does God reveal himself? I mean, he meets with Moses on top of the mountain. God reveals himself. How about the audible, audible voice? Even in the New Testament, we hear that God speaks and the people hear when his son is getting baptized. We just read about visions. We, we know that God speaks through dreams. We know that when the Holy Spirit comes, that the Spirit leads us and exhorts us into knowing God's heart and knowing God's mind. The scripture, as we said, speaks truth into our lives. Then there's the ministry of angels, right? Like angel coming to Mary, angels coming to Paul. There's the ministry of prophets, that they speak the truth of God into lives of people and to communities. And then there's also the ministry of preachers. They exhort, they teach, they give the word of God. These are all ways that we can hear from God, that we can walk out the hearing and the obedience. And when we hear the word of the Lord in these ways, In any of these ways, the question is, okay, Lord, what would you have me do with your word? How may I be obedient to your word? There's a difference 
that we need to be aware of. <clears throat> See, Saul believes in God. But Saul doesn't believe God. Does that make sense? Saul believes God exists. He believes in God. He believes he was anointed by God to be king. He believes in him. But when the word comes, he doesn't believe God. Abram, same way, right? The word comes. He has the, the option of saying, yeah, I believe in you, God. I believe. But does he believe God's words? When God speaks, does he believe it? And each time God speaks, we have that question in our heart to answer. Works that are a result of believing in God can produce false labor. Works that are a result of believing God produces a right relationship, attesting to the faithfulness of God and you. See, God's character is to be faithful. So God is going to be faithful. But what happens when God is faithful and we walk in obedience, it calls forth from us faithfulness to God. And so in that, we are able to be called faithful. And in that, it's that same way that Abram was, be able, was able to be called righteous. Because he was in right relationship with God because he obeyed and believed in what God said. Religious observance without obedience is empty before God. The best sacrificial offering we could bring to God is a repentant heart and our bodies surrendered to his service for obedience. I'm going to jump down in verse 15 to um, verse 20 of 1 Samuel. Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, king of the Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Does that make sense? Right? Like, oh God, I know better. I will take your created things that are good and worthy and I will bring them back and I will sacrifice them to you. How offensive to God in this way, right? Because he's actually like, I'm going to disobey you and then I'm going to turn around and tell you that it's for your good. What's at the root of that? Pride. Pride. He is asserting himself above God in that moment, saying, God, I know better what to do. 
And why does he do it? Because he justifies it by spiritual means, saying that these are going to be sacrificed to you. And so his false labor, he spiritualizes and justifies based on religious rules. But what God desires is not religiosity. It's not us following, it's not legalism that he desires. He desires us to be of a contrite heart, not making sacrifice on his behalf, but surrendering our will to his word, that we would walk in obedience to his word. A couple of quotes for you. It says, in sacrifice, we offer the flesh of another creature or even our own. In obedience, we offer our own will before God. Luther used to say, I had rather be obedient than able to work miracles. Another quote from Kielan DeLich says, In sacrifices a man offers only the strange flesh of irrational animals, whereas in obedience... He offers his own will, which is relational or spiritual worship. I'm going to close with um, looking at Galatians 3, 10 to 14. We're talking about Christ, culture, and communion, okay? False labor, It's going to take time (laughs) to overcome that iniquity in our life because false labor can be something so small and something so big. And so what we have to do is we have to get into a rhythm, get into a posture of consistently asking God for his word. God, lead me. God, direct me. God, what would you have me do here? How would you have me be here? And our own environment says to us, well, if you know how to do it, just do it. You know, last week, Corey shared about the, uh, the iPhone, right? And he put the iPhone up on his dash, and his son was like, did the Lord tell you to put that there? You know, and it was that whole idea, right? Like, we actually think that that is a, a menial thing that our minds and brains can handle to answer on our own. And it's not that we're being... Um, offhanded to God, saying, God, we don't think, you know, like, you have a say in this, so we're just going to do what we want to do. It's not to, to say that we have that attitude. But it is, it is like, it's, it's a small way to practice the surrendering of the will, right? Because our will wants to um, feed itself. And so there, there are ways that we, we, we walk in faith. There are ways that we can walk in relationship with God that, in essence, keeps our will humble. And when we come to God with the iniquity of false labor, it is so ingrained in who we are that we are actually called to be like Samuel and cry out. And so when we are aware of our pride and our will being strong within us. It is then 
that we come to the table. It is then that we kneel at a place of communion with Jesus Christ. And we surrender our will to him. And in the fellowship with Jesus Christ, in the relationship with Jesus Christ, he teaches our will how to be humble. He teaches our will to not just believe in him, but believe the words that he says. So that we can walk in obedience and in right relationship with him. Father God, we um, just come before you and uh, just pray that our will would be able to receive your word this morning. Father, I pray that we would not hear any condemnation in your word. But Father, convict us where we need to be convicted. May we surrender our will where appropriate and may we walk in confession of those times that our will has puffed itself up. Distracting us from hearing from you. Clouding your directions. Father, it's when we come to your tale, crying out, confessing, repenting, that we are restored to a right relationship with you. And that at the end of our journey, you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because we have surrendered our will daily to you. Daily we pick up that cross of giving our will to you so that we may be in right relationship with the one we love. 